So we will be in Acts 2 today. Um, we will we'll resume, like I said, 1 Peter next week. Um, but right now, I want to take us somewhere that um, I think would really help us as we go into the new year. I want us to think in terms of um, maybe basics, maybe, you know, uh, getting back to basics, fundamentals. Um, and so uh, this is where I felt led to go. Acts chapter 2, and so I'm, and I'm going to try to do, um, we're going to walk through this, how to bound, that's the title right there, how, that's the question we're answering today, how to build a foundation of faith. So we were taking um, our group photo for Christmas this year, and we had the accident about a year ago, and I couldn't do it with my watch, because that's what I was doing a year ago, and we when it, I was trying to figure it out, and then next thing I knew, 15 feet down, I'm on the ground. And so I couldn't do it. And so I pulled out the phone, and we did a selfie and, and, and just kind of got through the moment. Um, that, to me, makes, reminds me that, you know, all of us have been through a lot in 23. Some, not, some of you have scars from, chap, from 2023. Some of you still have fresh wounds from 23, and you're going to carry them into the next year as they heal. Some of you aren't you don't even see healing in sight yet. You're still in the midst of it, and you don't know how it's going to play out. It can be related to your job. It can be related to your marriage. It can be related to your um, finances. It can be related to your education, your health. There's so many things, right? Our, our, not to mention the culture war and the shadow of war and all the rest. And so it, part of us is like, what can I do in my life to order my life in such a way that I can deal with all that stuff? And there is a way to do that. And it's really based on the foundation that you're building your life on. And so I really want to talk to you today about how do you build a foundation for your faith? Because all that stuff is going to come in life, and most of it we can't control. All we can control is how we respond to it. But if you don't have a good foundation, you're not going to respond to it well, and it's not going to end well. Okay? If you remember back to, some of you were here when we went through Matthew the first time, we just did the Sermon on the Mount, and then we did the whole book of Matthew in chapter 7 at the end, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus uses that parable between the two guys who build houses. One builds his house on a rock foundation, one builds his house on a sand foundation, and both houses experience the exact same storms. Rain from above, wind from the side, floodwaters from below, and one stands and one falls. And Jesus says this represents two people who both heard the word of God. The difference was one obeyed and one did not. So if you want the Cliff Notes version of the sermon, if you want to build a foundation, obey God's word, you can go. All right, if that's enough for you and you're like, okay, I needed to hear that, I'm going to go do that, then you are, I'm serious, you can go, all right? That's the point. But a lot of you are probably scratching your head going, yeah, I know that, but how do I do that? because I'm not very good at that. That's why I'm taking you to Acts chapter 2. I want to show you how the early church did it. And really all they had, besides these were a lot of uh, Jewish followers that became Christians, so they had the foundation of the Old Testament scriptures, but, and they had the habits of the Jewish life. So they did have advantages some of us don't have, but they still, at the end of the day, just did what the Holy Spirit led them to do and what the Word of God led them to do. And they didn't even have Bibles. And yet the Word of God reigns supreme. Now, it wasn't just the Word of God. You're going to see three really key elements to make us like the Son of God. You're going to see the Word of God. 
You're going to see the Spirit of God, and you're going to see the people of God. And those three key ingredients, when we lean into that and practice our faith together, we will become more like the Son of God. Okay? So the answer to the question, how do we build this foundation? is to take into account these four keys that we're going to see in verses 42 through 47. Well, let me give us a little bit of a context here so that we'll see where we're coming from. So it's around A.D. 30, first century, 30, and Jesus has been resurrected, and he's been, you know, he was resurrected for 40 days, and then he ascended to be with the Father, and he sent out the apostles. Go do what I was doing. Go, go do, and, and they were praying, and the, the Holy Spirit comes, and um, manifests in such a way they can actually see tongues of fire over each other's head. It's like really weird. And, but it's, it's God's way of saying, I'm in you, and I'm empowering you and guiding you to do what I need you to do, to start a Jesus movement that will go way beyond your life. And here we are 2,000 years later, third of the planet professes Christ. That's almost a third. Okay? So God's working, all right? The question is, are we cooperating with that work? Are we leaning in? And so Peter, on that day called Pentecost, it was a Jewish festival, but on that day in the temple courts in Jerusalem, in the court of the Gentiles, which is the largest court, the one anybody could walk into, he stands up and he begins to preach. And he preaches the sermon that's the first part of chapter 2. And the very last sentence of that sermon is verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel, because he's preaching to Jews in Israel, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord, both Lord and Messiah. Now, I don't know about you, but I might have been a little offended if I was there, if I was, you know, hey, how do you know I, but that's not the reaction he gets, because they were, many of them were there saying, crucify him the day of, the, of Good Friday, the day of the cross. So he goes, so he says that, and so they respond with the right question. What do we do, right? When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They weren't just a little bit convicted. They were cut deep. They knew, I need to do something. And so they ask, what do I do? What do I do with this feeling that I have that is clearly from God. It's not, the, it's not something that Peter's manipulating them about. He just speaks the truth, and God is working powerfully. And Peter replies, repent and be baptized. Those are the two things he tells them to do. Now, interesting, the word of faith isn't here, but it's implied, and it, of course, shows up throughout the New Testament and, and throughout even in the book of Acts, which is where we are. And, and all throughout the book of Acts. So repent is, is, means to do an about face. Okay, now we talked about it before, but let me give you a little bit, a, a little bit of a new information, maybe not new, but maybe from a different perspective. In the Greek language, the word for repent means to change your mind. Okay? It's kind of like saying, I'm going to stop believing that lie, and I'm going to start believing that truth, and I'm going to act accordingly. Okay? So that's kind of the Greek Western mindset, too. The Hebrew mindset and word of for repent means to change direction. It implies that you're going somewhere. Okay, when you think of Jesus' parable of the broad road and the narrow way, right? The broad way leads to destruction, but the narrow way is to follow Jesus, is, is, it, it leads to life if you find it. And, it's, and that's kind of the Hebrew way of thinking was action, always action-oriented. Both of those apply, right? We want our thinking to be such that we follow the right people or the right person or God, 
in the sense of we're talking about Jesus. So he's right, repent is, is something that you're not going to do unless it's based on faith. So you've got to decide right now, um, if you're going to repent, what am I repenting from and what am I repenting to and, and why? What, what is it that I am hearing that I am believing enough to do that? Because then that leads you to the second step, which is baptism, which is public profession of that faith. That I am going to forsake this way, the way that I was living, and I'm going to turn and walk this way. And I'm not just going to do it once so that I have an insurance policy, spiritual insurance policy. No, no, it's a way of life every day. Repentance is not a once and done. It's a every time I sin kind of mindset. As I go through life. Kind of like when you wrong somebody, you don't just apologize once and go, yeah, that's going to cover all the rest of the times I offend you. <laughs> no. You, try to, you, you go to that person, you make it right. Now, sometimes that's hard to do, but if I make it right here, that makes that more, at least for me, makes it easier to then go and do that. That doesn't guarantee they're going to receive it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you're going to get two things. One is the forgiveness of your sins which is good. We need that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, why does the Holy Spirit matter? Because the Holy Spirit brings the two things that matter in spiritual capital, wisdom and power. Okay. It's one thing to know the right way to live. That's wisdom. It's taking knowledge and applying it in a, in a wise, life-giving way. But to then be able to do it requires power right? Because the flesh has power. The enemy has power. The world's philosophies bring power. What is going to combat those three things that tempt us? God's power, his spirit who pitches his tent in our hearts, sealing us, guaranteeing as a deposit, he's going to finish what he started. That Holy Spirit power is in every true believer who has been born from above, born of the spirit. This is why it matters that you confess your sins and repent and believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When you do that, his spirit enters. There's a, there's a spiritual um, activity that happens that only God can do that empowers us to do what the Bible teaches us and calls us to do. Speaking of calling, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. You see that word? God calls us to salvation. In some translations or in some parts of Scripture, this call is a command to be saved. That means that God is acknowledging, you and I seem to have a choice here. And if God does his part, he still says, you still have to respond. You still have to meet me somewhere. Okay, You can't meet me if I don't empower the way, but I have empowered the way and I'm calling you to me. And for us to resist that is, is just a continued rebellion. And we don't want to be there. You don't want to do that. That doesn't end well. I want you to notice too, the promise is for you and your children. He's telling the Jews, this is for the people of God, the chosen people of God, Israel, Jews. But it's also, and for all who are far off, that would be the rest of the world. That would be all ethnicities all peoples in our world. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. This is a passion, an impassioned plea that Peter's giving here. He's not being stoic. He is wanting to see people saved, right? Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. That means they obeyed what he said, repent and believe. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
That was quite an invitation. And to be baptized, how do you baptize 3,000 people in one day in a, in, a, in a city with no rivers? They used the fountains all over the town, all over the pools of water and fountains. And I imagine that was quite the scene in Jerusalem that day. Because not only was that all over town so that everybody knew, but of course the population was way bigger than normal because it was a festival. And God did that by design so that as that festival ended, all those new believers would go back home, right? Just like we talked about the international grad students, at some point some of those are going to go back home to take the education they get in America and go back and make their country better. Well, wouldn't it be great to send them with a heart full of Jesus? Right? What's going to be a more effective missionary? Someone who's trying to do their language as a second language or someone who's speaking in their heart language? It's powerful. You want to invest in international missions and never leave this state? That's how you do it. You invest in those who have come here, and they are here. Just you know, what's, um, what I heard that most, like 95% of international students just in general, never set foot in a Christian home. That's... That needs to change to zero. All right, now let's get to the heart of it. This is the heart of the answer to the question, how do I obey Scripture? How do I build my house on the rock that doesn't roll? How do I build my faith on the rock that is Jesus Christ? How do I do that? And, and it's, you know, I can say, like, obey Scripture, okay? Right, trust and obey. There's no other way but to be happy in Jesus is trust and obey, right? But it's hard, but God has empowered us through means of grace. That means he's given us things that we can employ that help us in our walk, obey consistently, right? So here's, where, here's what, uh, this is a snapshot. So, so Luke will do this. Luke is who wrote Acts. It's like Luke part two. And, and Luke is describing, he does this several times in the book of Acts where he'll stop and summarize kind of what's been happening, and he'll summarize how is the early church functioning. And that's what this is. This is a snapshot of the early church in the earliest of days. When people say, we want to be a, a, an Acts church, what they're saying is, we want to be like this, okay? Because I don't think they mean 1 Corinthians. We don't want to be like that early church, do we? In some ways we do. All right, so here we go. Let's break this down. So verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we're going to come back and we're going to go through those four. Those are the four um, kind of means of grace, I think, that really drive home how this works. Okay? So, um, well, let's just do that now. So they devoted themselves. I want you to think of somebody, maybe you can think of a time in your life when you devoted yourself wholeheartedly to something. You focused you edited out of your life other things that were good but competed, and you went all in on that for a season. Think about that. That's devotion. For some of us, it's when we were wooing our future spouse, right? Devoted to them, all right? Now, hopefully that didn't change, okay? It might look different, but, you know, right? Uh, I always think of the Olivia Newton-John song, Hopelessly Devoted to You. I always thought it was such a sappy song. But it really kind of says right? This, this idea of devotion. It's, it's, uh, it's part passion and it's part discipline. And they were doing that. They had a passion for Christ and they were disciplining and ordering their lives around Christ, right? Um, you may remember when I used a wagon wheel as an illustration for this. You have the hub of the wagon wheel and then you have those wooden spokes that would come out of it, like in an old western, a wheel on a wagon train uh, or, or a stagecoach. 
And all those spokes can re represent all these different areas of our lives that we care about, right? We think about our finances and our kids and our future and our jobs and our health and our, all that. But the hub, they're all connected to the hub. What's that? Okay, that's a good question. What is that in your life? What's at the hub? What is the most important thing to you? Okay, and I, and I would imagine it has something to do with you. But what I want it to be is what Scripture is pointing you to do, and that is that we live dead, dead men walking, dead people walking. I've died to self, and I've surrendered to Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's what I hope is your hub. Because what that does is it frees you from all the temptation that this life throws at you, and it, and it, and it frees you from the fear of circumstances and people and things that happen to you in life. It frees you from that because you're like, well, I guess if I die, then I just go home and fulfill my purpose perfectly in the new heaven and the new earth. Right now, I'm doing it imperfectly along with the mission that God has left me with, which is to make disciples while I'm here, Okay, which helps prepare us. So that hub, so what is that? So they devoted themselves to that hub, that is to Jesus. Now, how did they do that? How did they build their foundation of faith? They did four basic things. They, they, they prioritized the word of God. They prioritized the fellowship, okay? That's another way of saying the body of believers, the bride of Christ, the church, the gathering or assembly of those people, life together. They prioritized the cross, okay? When we take the Lord's Supper, we were remembering the cross. The cross displays the love of God more powerfully than anything in, in the world, in the universe, Nothing displays the love of God more powerfully than the cross. Because think of what it cost God, and think of what Jesus was willing to do, and why. And it was for us. It was for God's glory. It was out of obedience to his Father for us. We were the recipients of that. Okay, That's why all the movies you and I love, and all the books that we read that we love, that have the stories where their hero sacrifices themselves, are so inspiring and moving, and love. we love those stories. Why? Because they showed such great devotion and love for someone besides themselves. And who do we hate? People who are so full of themselves. We, I mean, we just are like, oh, that just is nauseating, right? Because that's the counter gospel. That's the anti-gospel, right? So the apostles' teaching was the word of God, okay? Now they didn't have Bibles. They did have the Old Testament scriptures, but those were in the synagogues. So people are walking around, and this is what their Bible looks like. They don't have, they're not carrying scripture unless it's here and here which is another reason to memorize Scripture and to pray Scripture and to weave it into the, uh, the, the, the rhythms of life, okay? We take it for granted that we have it on our devices and in paper. The, we should not take that for granted. That can be taken away. That can be taken away. Are you going to let your faith, the most important thing in your eternity, to ride on, I hope that nobody takes this stuff away because I certainly don't have it up here, I hope not. The apostles' teaching. The reason he calls it the apostles' teaching is because the 11, okay, the 12 disciples minus Judas Iscariot plus Matthias, so the 12 apostles, they were the ones who, um, who had followed Jesus for three years and sat under his teaching 24-7. Okay, that's a master's degree times 1.5. And that's a lot of energy and probably times more than that. That's a, that's a, a doctorate in Jesus, you see and you hear and you experience 
Jesus and all the truth that he brings. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And you get to experience, he, they experienced all that. So they were uniquely qualified to teach the teachings of Jesus. Now, they also tied it into the Old Testament scriptures, which Paul was also really good at doing. They tied it into the scriptures because why? Because the whole Old Testament story is pointing to the Messiah who would come in the future. And then the New Testament picks up with that Messiah arriving, okay? Today's Jews are just those who don't think Jesus is their Messiah. They think he still hasn't come. Messianic Jews are Jews that accept and receive Jesus as their Messiah. So that's kind of some of that. That why I mean, if every Jew believed their scriptures, there wouldn't be any Jews. Do you realize that? They would all be Christians unless they just reject, which is kind of what's happening, but it's more complicated than that because it's the Jews and... Yeah, it's complicated. Um, and so the apostles' teaching was what they would pass on. And this is what you and I are called to do. It's why we're still reading our Bibles, because the, we have the, they finally started realizing Jesus isn't coming right back. So we better start writing this down before the generations that were there, for, you know, we lose it. And so they started writing down in the late first century, they started writing down copies of what Jesus said, well, original manuscripts, and then they started copying the original manuscripts, and then they started sharing those amongst the bodies of believers in all the cities, like Corinth and Philippi and Colossae and the region of Galatia and Rome and, and so on, all around the world. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were devoted to fellowship, and this isn't, you know, cookies and lemonade, Okay. I want you to think about it. We, right, the Church of America, we tend to talk about, oh, we're going to have a fellowship Sunday night. Come on out. We've got flour cookies and lemonade, you know, like that's really, you know, fellowship. Wow, you know. And I wasn't here when it happened, but we named our church Grace Christian Fellowship, okay? Christian, to make it very clear, <laughs> okay? We are not Muslim or Buddhist or whatever, right? Grace, which is a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us. Fellowship. We could have called it Grace Christian Church, and there are churches that are called that. For whatever reason, they, they chose to use fellowship. And I think the, one of the reasons was, and I don't know for sure, but I think one of the reasons was they didn't, the, the word church doesn't, you know, doesn't mean what it used to mean. Fellowship means something. Okay? There's a couple of key ingredients to it. First of all, it means together in unity, not uniformity. We don't all agree on everything, but we're in unity on the big things. Second, we're all willing, we're all about the same mission. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Make disciples of all nations. We're in unity on purpose and meaning and who, who is empowering us to do this. And that we're all willing to sacrifice and give towards that. Our time, our talents, our treasure, all of our lives. We're willing to sacrifice and give that. And that means sometimes that what I'm giving is actually I'm opening myself up and being vulnerable in a moment when I'm really hurting because I trust that, these, that you're going to help me through that. Not necessarily in the room like this where we got, you know, but in a smaller group setting, I might do that, right? And so, and, and when we think about how it was used in the New Testament, um, Paul, one time he talks about the fellowship of the church, and he's talking about how all the churches he's traveling to, he's taking up an offering, and they're going to take that offering to the poor Christians in Jerusalem because those families, when they come to Christ, are they're like, you're dead to me. You, you got baptized in the name of another religion. You're dead to us. We don't know you. So now these people, many of whom were widows, were without financial support, without social support, without um, opportunities to do anything with that. They, they were just 
impoverished simply because they believed and trusted in Jesus Christ. And so Paul takes up this offering from all the Christians that are outside of Palestine, and they say, um, let's send money to help them, help the fellowship. In other words, we're all in this together. Some person is, some people call fellowship two fellows in a ship, okay? I don't know, it's kind of corny, but you get the idea. If you're just in a boat, right? You're just, there's nowhere to go. It's just us. We're in this together, good or bad. And there's a sense in which that is the case. You'll see unity is also a part of that. And you'll see that in this passage, all right? And then the breaking of bread is not just eating, okay? But I do believe that that can be and oftentimes was a part of their gathering. So this is kind of how I, I, I've, I'm reading. I'm still putting this together. I think this is kind of how things were working back then. So they would go to the temple every day. They were going to the temple courts, right? And this is that open air area around the temple proper up on the temple mount in Jerusalem. There's only one Jewish temple. It was in Jerusalem. There was the temple proper, which is like 30 foot by 60 foot kind of size building. That's where the Ark of the Covenant and all the apparatus was in. Then outside of that, you had some courts, smaller courts, and then you had the large court of the Gentiles, which anybody could enter. And then you had Solomon's colonnade that, cir- that not circled, but it was a giant rectangle around all of that open air. And that's where they would go to minister to people, to heal, to pray for, to sing songs of worship. Um, and to preach and proclaim the gospel. And they did that every day. They were doing works of evangelism. Okay? What does that mean? Evangelism is simply means they were sharing good news. The bad news is that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. The good news is that God sent a Savior. Okay? And when you believe the bad news and you realize the implications of the bad news, this is good news. Okay? If you hear the gospel and it doesn't sound like good news to you, then you're not understanding the problem, the bad news. And us Christians are not good at that because we don't want to be rejected. You know? But the bad news is that we're separated from God. We're born that way. That's we sin. We're born sinners. That's why we sin. We're designed to live differently. We're designed to walk in step with our Creator who knows how to put us together. He put us together a certain way. He wired us to be who we are. And, and because of sin, it's imperfect, corrupted by sin, but we'll be made perfect, whole, and complete one day when Jesus returns and, re- and fully restores his people and the new, into the new heaven and the new earth. Okay, Those who do not re- respond in faith, they end up eternally separated from God. Okay, That's the consequence of rejecting your creator. Okay, That's the good news, bad news thing. Okay, And the breaking of bread is when you come together, and they, so they would go to the to temple courts, they would share and minister, and then they would break up and go into different homes because there were so many, there, you know, thousands of people are there. They break up and go into homes, and they would have a meal. They probably would read some more, well, they weren't reading scripture, but they might quote some more scriptures, sing praise songs, eat the meal, and at the end of the meal, they would break bread in the sense of they would take a loaf, break it. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me take a sip of wine, drink this, this is, represents my blood, shed for you, do this in remembrance of me, which is Lord's Supper, which is what we do every Sunday, right? Why? Because we want to do what they were doing, okay? We want to do it because it reminds us of the cross. So they embraced the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship, the people of God, devoted to one another as a family, imperfect though we are, and they were devoted to the cross, pictured in the Lord's Supper, and they were devoted to prayer, okay? Personal prayer 
and corporate prayer. They prayed together and they prayed alone. They prayed without ceasing and they prayed structured times. But they were known as a people who prayed. See a need? Let's stop. Can I pray for you right now? I see you have a need. Can, can I just, right? What would our city be like if Christians would just, the opportunities that fall in front of us every single day, and we would just go, oh, that, I'm sorry, that we would not stop there, but go, you know, can I just say a quick prayer for you? And that doesn't always, it's not always appropriate, but most of the time, it is exactly what should happen because it opens the door to them receiving God's blessing because they're going to get the blessing from the prayer that you pray. And that's supernatural. You realize you have that authority. You realize you have that power because you have the Holy Spirit guiding your prayer, guiding your word. I don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. Scripture says that. And we're just so afraid. We just like, you just, oh, I'm so sorry. And that's kind of pathetic because... That's what everybody else says. How is that any different? We are the hands and feet of Christ. We have the opportunity to bless people. You can bless people just as much as the Pope can, maybe more, okay, because you have the Spirit of Jesus in you. Let's not hold back. Let's not cower. Let's just boldly, lovingly, humbly pray for people in the moment. They did that, and they did it well. So the answer to the question, how do we do this? How do we build a foundation of faith on a rock? All right, how do we do that? We devote ourselves to the, to the Word of God. Okay, that means that we don't just listen to someone preach the, the Word once a week, and then we wait till next week, if we happen to come next week, and listen to it again. That's like eating once a week and then hoping that you don't starve before the next week, right? If spiritually, you're starving yourself. Every day, you're in this Word. Every day, you're reading some more of it. Every day, you're nourishing your spirit, your soul, your faith, by hearing the Word of God and then putting it into practice, okay? They devoted themselves to fellowship. That means to one another. That means they didn't neglect in the gathering. Hebrews says, don't neglect the gathering of the believers. That means in the large gatherings. That means in the small gatherings, okay? It's not just show up and check a box and, you know, show in, come in as late as possible and leave as early as possible. It's no, come, do, come share with other people. And you say, well, I don't really need anything. Good, because there's other people around you who need an encouraging word, a smile, a handshake, a, a hug, something that you can come with. And you have, and you say, well, I don't know anybody. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God is big enough to use you as you are, where you are, if you'll just let him. Just let him. He's, he, he's Man, it, well, not only will it bless them, it will bless you. And they were devoted to this, to the cross and to prayer, and this was just, what, this is how they lived. This is how they lived. Everyone, verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. That means they were, it was wow. It was like, I can't, it was mind-blowing what was happening, Okay. They're filled with awe, this holy reverence of God at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So the apostles first and then later others would do miraculous things like heal somebody physically or you know, cast out a demon and do you know, things that were like, oh gosh, I've never seen that. I don't know what that's like. But those things were happening and I believe still can happen and do happen, okay? And uh, they, were, they, were, they were in awe. Like, wow, there's no other explanation but God. That's how, wow, all right? And then it says all the believers were together, okay? So together is another way of, remember, all unity. This is unity, okay? 
and they had everything in common. Okay, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need to give. All right, now, obviously, people owned something to be able to sell it. All right, some people point to this passage and go, oh, look, communism. It's not communism. It's not even close. Okay, communism is your government forcing you to share what you own and give it away. Okay, this is volunteering to give to someone in need because you see the need, all right? So in some cases, people would just see a neighbor in need, and they would say, they're low on food. We're going to send some food over. Why? Because I have some, and they don't. Simple as that, okay? In some cases, some had more resources, and so they literally sold property, and then they took the money and laid it at the feet of the apostles and said, use this however you feel you need to do to minister to the people through the church. I don't, I'm not, no strings attached. Just use it as you feel led to use it, Okay? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a generosity that the world doesn't comprehend. Okay? We all love other people to be generous. We don't believe the verse, Acts 20, 35, that says it's more blessed to give than receive. Most of us don't believe that because we don't live like we believe that. Me included. It's a challenge. Okay? But there it is. They sold property possessions to give to anyone in need, as they had who had need, every day. They continued to meet together every day. Now, I don't think that necessarily means that every single Christian met every single day, but they were, there was enough of a meeting that every day there was gatherings both in the temple and in homes, okay? In the temple courts, in their homes. They broke bread, which, again, eating in the Lord's Supper in those homes as part of that gathering. When I think of our home groups and mission groups, I think of groups that meet in the name of Jesus, unified by our purpose and mission, to, uh, and, and passioned and devoted to him, his word, his spirit, his people, okay, and, and prayer and the cross, okay, and, uh, but we also go out, okay, the temple courts is not just this, okay, because what's, it's kind of similar in that in the temple courts, it was for the, actually the court of the Gentiles was for the lost, that was the purpose of the court, because they assumed that all the Gentiles were lost because they weren't Jews, which is the way it was in the Old Testament, if you weren't a Jew, you weren't part of God's covenant yet. But when you became a Jew, you, you were part of the covenant and you received the blessings of the covenant. Well, the new covenant supersedes the old covenant. And now it's not just go to the temple in Jerusalem and worship. Now it's the temple is in me and in you if you're in Christ. You and I are like bricks in the wall of the temple. And the apostles and the prophets are the foundation and Jesus is the cornerstone. God's Spirit fills it up. So we are the temple. We don't have to go to worship, okay, to a building. We don't have to go to a building to worship. Now, this is where people get hung up on it. Like, yeah, I don't have to go to church to, to be a Christian. If you want to be a faithful follower of Christ, you must gather with his people. It doesn't have to be in a building. It can be under an overpass. It can be on a boat. It can be in the, in the woods. But you, the church is us gathered, not scattered. Okay? The church does scatter. That's most of the week, right? But we are the church when we assemble. That's what church means. It was a civic term before it was made a spiritual term that meant assembly, like a public assembly. When they came together to talk about government business, it was called church. Isn't that weird? Okay? Now the Bible took that word and repurposed it to say it's the gathering of believers who, it's the gathering of believers, period, in the name of Jesus. 
Okay, so when so that's why sometimes you'll hear pastors go, "Okay, church," and they'll call you church, and you're like, "That sounds weird. I'm not a building. I'm not an event. You're not. You're more than that." And that's what he's getting at. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, what's our question? How do we build a foundation of faith? We build it by devoting ourselves to the Word of God, to the fellowship to the cross, and to prayer. 2024. Now, I'm not asking you to add four New Year's resolutions to your list. Okay? This is, this is, um, this is more than that. This is, what am I orienting my life around? What am I devoting my life? What am I devoting tomorrow to? What am I devoting the rest of next year to? I have a choice. It's a daily choice. It's not a choice you're going to make once and then all. Don't make it a New Year's resolution because you're going to quit that on day three. Okay? Resolve through your actions to be devoted to the things that matter, and that is to know the Word so that you can obey it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we gather today in your name to lift up Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Our prayer is that you would empower us through your Spirit to do the things we already want to do, which is to trust and follow you down the narrow way. But Lord, we confess that this is not only hard, but if we're honest, it's impossible when we try to do it in our own strength. And maybe that's why we struggle so much. Lord, help us to realize that you've given us the Spirit of God to empower us to be able to do it, to show us the wise way to live a life-giving life, that it's more blessed to give than receive, that there's power when we unify around the things that matter. Lord, we live in such a broken, divisive world. Lord, help us to show them another way. Help us to be a church that, that, that shows what we see in this passage every day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.